Welcome back to our Deepen series. In today's video, we're going to discuss how to study and read the Bible. Now, some people may think, you know, why, why do I have to learn how to study something? People tend to read and study the Bible a lot different than they would study anything else, which is very odd. So just for example of this, one of the way I've seen people read Scripture is they just kind of flip through the Bible and, and just kind of read a Scripture and, and go by it. Here's the problem with that. You say you're flipping around in Scripture, and you look, and you say, and uh, Judas hung himself. And then you flip around, and you find another place, and it says, go therefore and do likewise. <laughs> and you flip around again, and it says, what you do, do quickly, you know? <laughs> um that's a really bad way to read not just scripture, but anything. Think about when you read any other book. You read it from front to back. You don't find a random sentence and then just take it at face value and don't know any context about what else is going on or why they were uh, writing the book in the first place. No, you're going to try to figure that out. You're going to look at the context clues. You're going to pay attention to what's going on in the story. Same thing with the Bible. That's how we should treat it. When we're reading the Bible, it's very important that we are looking for the correct interpretation. There is only one interpretation, and that is the author's intent, and that's it. Not how it makes us feel, not what seems good to us, but what was the author's intent? We also need to be careful and actually know what Scripture says. Like I said earlier, people like to just cherry pick out of the Bible. One of the really famous ones is Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I know the plans for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you. Okay, well, if you look at the context of Jeremiah, what's actually happening right now is Israel is being disciplined by God, and they are in exile. Basically, what God is saying here is, hey, I know things are bad, but I still have plans for you. I still love you. Even though you are disobedient and you're being punished right now, I'm still here for you. That's what Jeremiah 29 11 is saying. But some people use it to be like, oh, well, everything's just hunky-dory with God. Thank you, Lord. We need to respectfully question others whenever they just pull out a piece of scripture. Uh, another really common one that I've heard people use is, ah, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So that actually comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 8. And it actually does not say that, but that's how people quote it all the time. Instead, Paul is actually saying, I would rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. He is making a statement. He's not saying, hey, if you're absent from your body, that means you're instantly present with the Lord. Now, I do believe that when we die, we do go straight to heaven. I don't think this particular verse is good for that argument. Another scripture that I've seen some people throw around, uh, and actually a few years ago, they did a little experiment on Facebook. Somebody posted this particular scripture, and tons of people liked it, and they were all about it. Anyway, here's what, here's what it says. It says, all these things I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Well, that sounds great if it's coming from God or Jesus, but it's not. Instead, it's actually Satan talking to Jesus. But in, but we read this scripture into being like, oh, well, everything that it says is absolutely true. We have to be really careful with that because this is true that it happened, but that is not necessarily true. So another piece of scripture that uh, I like to point out is John seven twenty seven. There's actually a a guy that talks about Jesus and he says, hey, we know where this guy is from and we know that we're not supposed to know where the Messiah comes from. 
wait, is that true? No, it's not. That guy was wrong in the Bible. A lot of times I feel like we read scripture in, in just more of a magical way than it is truthful. You actually see this in, uh, lately I've been watching Star Trek. Really awesome. I've always been a Star Wars fan. Honestly, I don't think you compare the two. I think Star Wars is great. I think Star Trek is great. It's really good. So I was watching Deep Space Nine, and they they have these Bajoran people anyway. They have their prophets. And it's so similar to the way a lot of Christians treat prophecy in the Bible and how they read Scripture. And it's very oh, well, we just don't know the answers to that, or we just we just have faith. That's all we need. And, and that's not what the Bible is like at all. It's a very misrepresentation of, of how Christianity actually works. Not that they were copying Christianity or anything like that, but you could definitely see some correlations. And I've seen people treat Scripture this way. But again, just like the individual in John 7, 27, he was clearly wrong about what he said. He was trying to essentially talk about a prophecy of, of the Messiah, and he was wrong. We need to make sure that we know who is saying what, and who are they talking to? Why is, th why is this being written in the first place? When we're studying Scripture, we need to pay attention to contrasting words like, but a good example of this is Romans 3.23, where Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, right after that, which is not even a complete sentence, right after that, it says, but God being justified, and basically he explains the gospel, and he just explains how grace works, essentially. Now, the other end of that verse is the word for. It starts with a preposition. If you are reading a sentence, you cannot start with a preposition. That's just not how you can start a sentence. If you see the word for or therefore, you need to see what it is there for. Go back and read, because he's saying this for a reason. He's not just saying, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that incomplete sentence basically says, we're all going to hell. Darn it. <laughs> uh, that's not really a good place to stop or start in that matter. Go read the entire chapter three of Romans. Also, look for conditional words like however or if. Check out punctuation like periods, commas, etc. Another one is vocabulary, especially when reading the King James Bible. 500 years ago when they wrote that, they used language a whole lot different than we do today. They use different words that we just, or they use them in different ways that we use them today. And honestly, look at our language. Even the last 20 years has changed drastically. The English language in America has. Pay attention to vocabulary. Write it down. Go look at it. Don't just try to use context clues to understand, but really try to look it up and say, okay, what was the, why did they use this word? Another important thing to look at when studying scripture is what exactly are you reading? Are you reading a letter? Are you reading something that's tended to be history or law or prophecy or apocalyptic literature, which is just revelation? That's what it means, is revelation. Pay attention to sentences, not just the verse, the random verse taken out of context, but the sentence, the paragraph that it's in, the thought, the main idea. Try to get it all. Knowing these things are paramount in studying God's Word. We must pay attention. Here's just an example of why the literary genre matters. If I'm reading a letter, I'm paying attention. Who wrote this? 
why did they write it to me? So for example, if I wrote you the exact same letter as one of your really close friends, you're going to take it a little bit differently. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's just how we use context. We know who's writing and why they're writing it. So here's just kind of an illustration that I like to use. Uh, let's say that you're in high school and you're uh, you find this girl very attractive. You really like her, and you you know you just you love this girl. So you write her a letter and you say, "Hey, you know, I love you. I want to go out on a date. You know, check yes or no, whatever." <laughs> anyway, she writes you back, and she says, "Da da 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 da. I'm not really reading because I really only looking for one thing. I'm I'm looking for what's going to matter to me." And it says, "I love you." I was, yes, she loves me. That's fantastic. All right, we're good to go. You tell her your friends. Yeah, you know, you go to her and you're like, "All right, let's go on that date." But then she tells you, "I don't think you read my letter." <laughs> And you go look at it, and you realize it says, I love you, comma, but I'm your cousin. So it got kind of a little weird there. We need to be careful on how we read Scripture. We need to be paying attention to what is it? Who's writing it? Punctuation. Pay attention to all of these things, because it has everything to do with really understanding the Word of God. Reread over and over. Again, try to figure out the author's intent. Why are they writing what they are writing? Also, when you're reading, consider asking some of these questions. Who is the speaker? Who is the author? Who is the speaker talking to? Now, some of those sounded the same, but that's not always the case. So, for example, in the Gospels, so the Gospel of John, John the Apostle is writing the letter. But the speaker is often maybe Jesus, sometimes it's Nicodemus, sometimes it's the disciples, or it could be anybody. But then also, who are they talking to, and why are they talking to them? Also, when you're reading Scripture, who is they? So they use the word they or them, or they might use us or we. Who is that? Is that the disciples? Is that Christianity? Is it humanity? What is it talking about? How specific is it being whenever it uses those terms? Pay attention to what Scripture is being quoted. There's there's actually a really fantastic way that most of our Bibles use to reference Scripture. Our Bibles are not just filled with Scripture. A lot of them have commentaries. They have references in them. Just a second ago, I mentioned referencing Old Testament Scriptures. A, way, a really easy way to find if they're quoting the New Testament, many of our Bibles actually have either a footnote, so it'll have you'll have the piece of Scripture and it'll have a letter A or a number one or something like that, and it will point you to an Old Testament scripture, usually. Another way that they show this, a lot of times they will change the font whenever they are quoting the Old Testament. A really good example of this is Jesus. Whenever he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he just kind of ends it there. But what we realize is he's actually quoting the beginning of Psalm 22. And if you go read Psalm 22, it's so beautiful because it talks about my hands and feet were pierced and he was whipped and all these different things. And, and it was all from the past. It was really cool that he was fulfilling that prophecy right then and he quoted that scripture. Changing the font is probably the most important thing that we see in, in scripture. And this is not done in the original manuscripts. It's something that we've added to really help understand. Because honestly, when Paul was quoting a lot of the Old Testament, when, when Jesus was, everybody knew the Old Testament so well, they had it memorized. They didn't need it. We didn't grow up studying the Old Testament like they did. 
So it's really great for us to have these references. Now, one more thing that I want to mention. Some people who are adamant about using the King James Bible, they will say that other Bibles leave out verses that the KJV had. That is not true. That is, that is a false representation of what is happening. Let me explain this to you. Those scriptures that they are leaving out, they are either footnoted or they are put in as brackets. So they'll have little square, half square brackets around those particular scriptures. An example of this is the end of John 7 and the beginning of John 8. Jesus actually has a story where he is confronted with an adulterous woman. This is the one where he draws in the sand. What these newer translations have found is that in the early 20th century, we actually found more Greek and Hebrew manuscripts that were much better in much better shape and dated further back than anything that the KJV had in 1611. And actually, go back to look at my Bible translation episode, and we talk about how the King James Version heavily relied on the Latin Vulgate and the Tinsdale Bible. Obviously, they had some Greek manuscripts, but they didn't have near what we have today. And what we have found is that in these older texts, we don't find some of those scriptures that you see in the things that the KJV was using. Not that these scriptures are wrong by any means. The reason why we keep them in there is because they're still consistent with the rest of the Bible. There's no real issue that we have with them theologically or anything like that. So if you have anybody that says, oh, your Bible leaves out scripture, no, it doesn't. Actually, I've got an old NIV version that it does look like it, it takes it out. They actually leave a, a space. But they leave this space here and they say, you know, this is just some of the older manuscripts don't have this particular verse in it. They're just letting you know. They're just being honest. That's not being dishonest. That's not trying to get your money or anything like that. They're really just trying to be honest and say, hey, we just don't find these here. Nothing wrong with it. Just letting you know. So if you see brackets or if you see a space like that, or if you see a verse's footnoted, just understand that that's what that's there for. And actually, your Bible <laughs> tells you that. Now, again, you're not going to see these brackets or anything like that in the, in the King James Bible. You might find it in the New King James. I'm not positive on that. When reading these scriptures and taking all of this stuff into account, we need to make sure that we are forming a, a tentative reconstruction of the situation that the author is speaking of. We need to understand, okay, Corinthians. Why is Paul writing to the Corinthians? He's not just randomly sending them a letter. He knows these people. He has a connection to the people that he's talking to. What kind of relationship does the author have with the reader? What is the attitude reflected in that particular manuscript? Especially when it comes to the letters in the Bible, read it in an entire sitting and then go back and study verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, and really dissecting what was being said to try to discover the author's intent. He is writing to the Corinthian church for a reason. Let's try to figure out why, what was going on there, and then we can better interpret what the Bible is saying. Pay attention to the recipients. Who are they talking to? Are they Jews, Greeks, Christians, non-Christians? Who are they talking to? These are all very important things to pay attention to. Look for analogies and be very careful that you don't make assumptions about these analogies. Because when you 
when anybody gives an analogy, they're trying to explain something that you can observe, that you know about, to make something else make sense. An example of how people have looked at Scripture and taken an analogy and taken it in a different direction than its intention is Revelation 3.20, where John is writing the book of Revelation, and there's a letter to the church of Laodicea. And in Laodicea, he says, I would rather you be hot or cold, not lukewarm, or I will spit you out of my mouth. I can't stand lukewarm. Okay, so you hear Christians talk about, okay, God really doesn't like lukewarm Christians. He would rather you be on fire, hot for the Lord, or cold, dead in your sins, and not knowing the Lord at all. That is a misrepresentation of what this analogy was going for. And let me just explain this. When you look at the church of Laodicea, they actually had two rivers coming into that area. And one was a hot spring and one was a cold one. The cold one was good for healing. They actually used it to make an eye, eye solution. And then the hot springs were obviously good because, hey, who likes hot tubs? That's <laughs> misrepresentation. But So you see these two springs one is hot and one is cold, and each of them serve a good purpose. God is not saying, oh, I'd rather you be on fire for me or just be an atheist. No, that is not what that is saying. So be careful whenever you are reading these analogies. Make sure that you understand why they were giving that analogy in the first place and why it would have mattered to them. Another example of this, just a life example, I was explaining the difficulties of marriage to uh, a guy that was actually from Romania. And I, I just kind of made a joke that, you know, marriage is not, you know, two lovebirds sharing a branch for the rest of their life. Everything's good. And I said, instead, it's two porcupines in a small box. And in that small box, those porcupines think they speak the same language, but they don't speak the same language. What I found is that he had no idea what I was talking about. He didn't know what a porcupine was. Understandably, that's one of our issues Whenever we're reading the Bible, we need to make sure that we're not trying to put their analogies and what they're saying in our context. We need to leave it in their context and then draw from that what is truth. Now, here are just some final thoughts that I have. Be careful where you're getting your information. The internet is a powerful tool, but it's like a good saw. If you know how to use it, it's a fantastic cut straight, does everything I need it to do. But if I don't know how to use it, I'm going to lose an arm or a finger or whatever. So just be careful whenever you're using the internet because you can Google anything you want and find, get it to say anything you want. Honestly, try to find something and put it in quotes and it will find you a blog or something that somebody has written and it may or may not be true. Make sure you know what you're quoting from what your source is. Is it a blog or is it satire? This is another good one. The Babylon Bee is a satire news organization that they just, they, they do joke headlines and they do joke news stories essentially. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen quote these guys and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this horrible thing is happening. It's like, it's a joke. They're just kidding. We could do another episode and just see how many of their fake news stories have come true. That That's a whole nother episode though. <laughs> Be diligent in your reading. Whenever you come across titles, maybe you'll see a title of a blog or a title of a video or whatever. And a lot of times we will just jump to the conclusion and say, oh, well, they're, they're thinking this. 
and then it goes a whole another direction when you actually read it. Please go and read. Pay attention to the whole thing. Don't just cherry pick what you want. Look at the whole thing. Take an objective view and find whatever the truth is. Enjoy your Bible reading. Thanks. Thanks.